First of all, thank you for your support and encouragement. If you're listening to this, you likely know me. I started recording myself with the help of my wife, and what was first an exercise in improving my speaking became a record of a series of sermons that I will periodically release via this podcast. I believe that Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, and here's my grain of salt. Thanks for listening. So the first recording is on the story of Jonah found in the Bible as a small book by the same name. It was one of my favorite stories in the Bible growing up, likely because it includes this outrageous account of a man being swallowed by a great fish, or as some believe, a whale. Anyway, I decided to do a sermon on this story for an entirely different outrageous reason, which I will get to at the end of this sermon. I hope you are able to see the story with fresh eyes. I should also say that some have suggested that the story of Jonah is a parable, while others believe it is a real account. For me, it is a matter of what the story conveys, and well, you'll see at the end. This sermon was delivered at my first church assignment in Bellflower, California, which I remember with much endearment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much because you always remind us that you are strong enough and you're enough to save all of us. Um, As we come into your presence at this moment, I pray that your spirit may be here present in our minds and hearts and that as we read the word in the Bible that we may see the living word, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So when I was a kid growing up at church, I had a favorite story. Probably a really popular story for kids to really love. And that story was of this man named Jonah. And obviously, I really love this story because, as we all know, Jonah gets swallowed by some sort of giant fish, the Bible says. Um, So I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. There are a few things in this book, this prophet, right, this man of God, The Bible says, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. I imagine Jonah just, I don't know, maybe after dinner, you know, after the day of work. Maybe it's that time that he takes to, to, to pray. Maybe he's walking outside of his house. And then the word of the Lord comes to him. I don't know how this happened, but but he was known as a prophet. We we first encounter Jonah, I believe it's in first or second Kings, I can't remember right now, but Jonah was a prophet. And now God tells him, Arise, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But as we all know, Jonah rises, but instead seeks to flee to Tarshish, 
away from the presence of the Lord. He goes down to Joppa, and he finds a ship that's going to Tarshish. And he pays his ticket, he pays the fare, and he goes into it. He goes into the boat to go with them to Tarshish. Again, away from the presence of the Lord. Why would Jonah run away is the question. Was he, did he get stage fright? You know, that great city, Nineveh, where so many people live. What, what, why, why does he not want to go there? It's interesting because Nineveh is near where the modern-day city of Mosul is in northern Iraq. And this city is still infamous for violence and now even terrorism, wars, death. Now imagine you being Jonah and God asking you, get up, go to this place, go to Mosul and tell them what I tell you. It's a little scary, right? It's a little dangerous. God, are you sure you want me to do this? And back in the day, Nineveh was in what was known as Assyria. And the Assyrians were brutal. They were ruthless. They would find the most creative ways to, to just torture people in order to take their lands and be in power. In fact, they became an empire. So Jonah maybe has a little bit of a reason why he doesn't want to go there, right? God, do you not know what they've done to us? How, why do you want to send me to the enemy to tell them about you? That doesn't quite make sense, at least at Jonah at that moment. And so he decides to get away as far as possible from this place. Tarshish is believed to be somewhere in southern Spain. So as you can see, he's trying to get as to the edge of the known world, trying to get away from God. Verse 4 says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty storm so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo, which was in the ship, so that it would lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had gone down and laid down and was fast asleep. How, how is he asleep in a storm? And we think that maybe this ship, these sailors were Phoenician because the Phoenicians had the best ships and they were expert sailors. They traveled all over the known world. And Jonah is asleep. And the captain comes down and says to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? What, how can you be sleeping right now? Get up, call to your God. Perhaps the God, that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And as the story continues, we find out that the sailors are trying to figure out why this storm is upon them. Why are they 
about to die in, in the ocean, and they cast lots, right? So they cast lots, and the, lots, the lot falls on Jonah. And then they, then they, tell, they ask him, they say, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What do you do for a living? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Who are you? Why is this happening? And Jonah says, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. It's interesting that he's trying to run away from this God, and he knows that God is the creator of heaven and earth. And then now the men are afraid because they realize, what have you done, Jonah? For they also knew, it says, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told. So maybe Jonah found these guys that were going on this, on, this, on this trip, and he tells them, you know, I'm running away from the Lord. They don't know who God is, right? They don't know what's going on. They're just like, okay, whatever. He's probably like any of our gods, and you'll be fine if you run away. Because back in those days, your God lived within your board, the borders of your country. Your God was limited to your nation. And so, you know, they're probably thinking, yeah, it's fine. You know, you can run away from him. You'll be good. It's all good. But now that they've realized who God is, now they're afraid. And it's interesting that they're afraid and Jonah wasn't. Somehow Jonah was okay running away from God, knowing God is the ruler of all earth. And it's interesting because a prophet should know what the right thing is to do, right? And yet, we see that often us knowing what we should do doesn't always translating into us doing what we should do, right? Like, there's this gap. And now we see even a prophet knows what to do, but he doesn't do it. And he says to them, you know, they ask him, what do, what do we need to do? And, and as we know, the story goes on. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's the only thing that will quiet the sea down for you. I mean, getting thrown over the sea, over the side of the boat into the sea, that's, that's basically like saying, just throw me overboard and I'm going to die, right? I mean, there is, Jonah is not a sailor. I don't know if he knows how to swim, and especially not in a storm. Now, think, think of that. Throw me overboard. Let me die. Maybe it tells us a little bit about what Jonah thinks of God. Would God be pleased if Jonah died? Is that what he's thinking? Because there's no way that Jonah knows about this great fish, right? He's just getting thrown overboard. And this whole time, the sailors are learning step by step, action by action, who Jonah's God is truly is. And the sailors are afraid. They don't want Jonah's life in their hands, on their hands, Jonah's blood, right? They don't want to be responsible for killing Jonah. And so they, they start rowing back to the land, and they just can't. The storm gets worse and worse to the point where they're just, they cry out to God, and they ask, God, don't let this man's life be upon us. 
because this we don't know what's going on. This storm, you sent the storm, we don't know what's going on, right? It's not our fault. And they throw Jonah overboard. Now imagine being Jonah, getting thrown overboard in the middle of a storm. And the next thing he knows, he's still breathing. Somehow, he's still alive. I imagine him thinking, what, what, what just happened? Did I just like, did I just like, am I dead? Like, what is going on? I imagine he's in a dark place. It probably smells because God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah up. And now, when I was a kid, there's always this, this idea of like, is it a, is it a whale? Is it a, is it a fish? Which one is it? And you know, I kind of have like, kind of a scientific mind. I'm like, well, fish don't breathe air, right? So it's probably a whale because they breathe air, and so Jonah would have been okay. And fish don't; they have gills. And I'm just going back and forth, right? <laughs> and then I, I find out later on, you know, there's there is no word in Hebrew for whale. They they didn't have the language to describe a whale. Um, but we don't know what it was. It was some sort of big living thing in the ocean that God appointed to swallow Jonah up to save him. When Jonah thinks that him dying would please God, God sends a fish to save him. And then we have Jonah's prayer, which reads almost like a psalm in chapter 2. And let me just read you verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. This is Jonah's song of thanksgiving. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, because salvation belongs to the Lord. And I think maybe Jonah is remembering, God loves me. I may have run away. I may have thought that by me dying, God would be pleased. And yet he sent this fish to swallow me up. And now he's probably been there a few days. And he says, those who pray to idols, they don't have hope. They don't have a hope of a loving God, but I do. And because of that, I will be thankful and I will sacrifice to the Lord what I have vowed because salvation belongs to the Lord, right? And it says Lord in capital letters. He's not just talking about any God here. He's talking about Yahweh, the great I am. And as we know, the fish spits him out. And then he goes to Nineveh. He tells them they have 40 days to repent. And they all repent on day 39? No. They repent immediately. It says the entire city, probably over 120,000 people, living in one of the greatest cities of the time, in fact, Nineveh in, later on became the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It must have been impressive that they repent on the first day. And Jonah is not happy. 
he just wasn't. He was angry. He was furious. He says to God, I knew you would do this. I, I knew, I knew of your mercy. I knew of your love. I knew that you would be gracious. I knew that you would forgive them. Why did you do this? What's the point? Why did you make me look bad, go over there and tell them they have 40 days to repent or they'll be destroyed and nothing is happening? I am angry and furious. I would rather die than have to watch you be graceful and watch you forgive these people who have been so evil to us. Right? Jonah is angry. The end of the book just ends with Jonah being upset. Even after being saved by this God and remembering his steadfast love, he gets spit back out of the, 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 the fish, and now he's out seeing other people being forgiven, and he is absolutely enraged against God. And God says, should, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who don't know their right from their left, and also much cattle? So why am I speaking about Jonah? <laughs> Besides the fact that it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, Jesus spoke of Jonah. I'll ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Matthew 12, 38. 12:38 reads, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And he's, he's speaking forcefully in response to, to what just happened a little earlier in this same chapter, where they the scribes and the Pharisees accused Jesus of, of, of healing people and casting out demons by the power, not of God, but of Satan. They are unable to, to distinguish God's work. They, 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 they know so much, but they just can't recognize God when they see him. And in fact, Matthew 12, 33 Jesus tells them, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, you know, because that's how we know the tree is known by its fruit. He calls them brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. How is it that the people who knew the scriptures and who taught them could not recognize God's grace and forgiveness for those who they thought did not deserve it. 
How is it that a prophet of God who knows God's voice is unable to understand or accept God's grace for those who don't deserve it? And so I think that the sign of Jonah Jesus is speaking of here, and I just want to suggest this, that maybe it's a twofold meaning. One very clear, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so I will be in the, in, in the grave, and I will rise up, and that will be the sign to you. But also the fact that through that, that he would bring salvation to those in whose, in, you know, who seemed not to deserve it. He was going to save those whom they knew did not deserve it. Humanly, there is no way. And you're not going to like it. This is the salvation of the Lord. It's bigger than you or I. It's bigger than what you think is what should happen. God's grace is bigger than anything the world has ever seen or known. In fact, Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 3. And this is Paul now encouraging the church in Ephesus Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. This is what Paul says. Ephesians 3, 14 reads, For this reason, this is Paul speaking, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. This is how he's ending this chapter where he's talking about this mystery. How is it that, that, that these heathens and Gentile people, how is it that they are now adopted into God's family? How is it that now they're part of the same community as all everyone else who had followed Jesus, who was a disciple, who was an apostle? He's sharing, you know, how is it that they, they can also have the promise of Jesus through this same gospel? How is it that these unclean, undeserving people can be part of Christ's body, are being called in and being transformed? How is it that this could happen? And he says, look, I want you. I want God to strengthen you in your inner being, in your mind, in your heart, so that you can really understand and comprehend just how big and wide and deep the love of God truly is. That it is like an ocean that cannot be measured, that swallows you up. It's just 
more than you can even imagine. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38, Paul continues speaking of the love of God. And he says the following. Romans 8.38 reads, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come in the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loved us so much that he was willing to become human, to live a life that was not worthy of the king of the universe so that he could come to a world that was undeserving to all of us and say, salvation belongs to me and I am offering it to you. Jesus freely and willingly, gladly did what Jonah could not. To the extent that many, many people have believed. And it's the reason why we are here today. I want to encourage you to study and to read of and try to understand God's love because this is the only thing that can transform us and allow us then to share that love with people around us, maybe even people whom we have a difficult time sharing God's love with. Maybe there's people who are really difficult to love in our lives. And yet this is God's will. He gave up everything for this one thing. So Paul finishes chapter 3 in Ephesians saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So we come back to the story of Jonah now. And I look at it, and I see God's love trying to shine through human beings. And it was very difficult for Jonah and it might be difficult for you too. But I just want you to remember that God's love is beyond what we can understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and your care, for the fact that you save us in times of distress, 
whether we are listening to you or not. Father, this same love that you've shared through Jesus Christ, help us to understand it. Help us to embody it and help us to find our jobs, our vocation in it and sharing it, giving freely to others as it was freely given to us. In Jesus' name, we pray today. Amen.